From multiple fried locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are burnout and asynchronous and asymmetric gameplay. So if everyone's ready, let's start. That was a real dramatic pause. I love it. <laughs> Let's start. I'm just so used to Mark saying it. Yeah. Yeah, we changed oh, the yeah. policy on that. I think we yeah. changed that. We did change the policy. I don't, yeah. For for the better, I think. Yeah, it's okay. I'm used to it. I'm just feeling a little burnt out. <laughs> We're not, not ready for transitions yet. Not ready. Shoot, okay. <laughs> ah. right, right vibe, wrong time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is one tired clubhouse, I, I should say. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ellen, you have a note here that we need to get to as a follow up to a thing we were talking about in the previous episode. Yeah. So also, um, this is now the meta, which I think uh, Stephen explained to us in the last one of the previous episodes as well. Um, yeah. So I had mentioned uh, when was it? When was I talking about? Oh, working with family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When Charles was on the show. Um, I had mentioned that it would be super awesome to do some work with Eric, my husband, on game design and development. But we like we find a genre of games that we both enjoyed. We found a genre of games we both enjoy. Oh, so genre is that? Um, we're kind of really getting into co-op roguelikes. Mm. Oh, okay. so he's uh, an avid roguelike player. He kind mm-hmm. of like chaining roguelikes over the past couple months, and I've been playing a few of them, and I like them. And we started a co-op uh, game of Children of Morta. Mm, okay. And it's pretty cool. Great art. Yeah. Great music. Is there something that distinguishes a co-op roguelike from a roguelike other than another player? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'll ask Eric about that. But, I mean, you know, you can... I think one thing that's different is... I mean, the, the items that you come across are randomly generated, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you have another person with you then you're not always going to come across one and be like, well, that's a total waste. <laughs> you know, right. if, you, yeah. if you're if you playing with someone who's a completely different class than mm. like you're, you're playing, then it's it's more likely that you're actually going to get some utility out of that random drop. Right, so, and you can, they get, they get something cool, and emotionally that's just as rewarding as you getting something cool, right? If, you, if you're so, invested yeah. in, their, in your partner's success. So mm-hmm. I could see that like dulling some of the sharp edges of roguelikes which mm. which keep me out of the genre. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. A- as a person who is sort of developing, well, not sort of, I'm developing a roguelike, you know, for almost seven years, dear Lord, that game needs to come out. Uh, <laughs> Fingence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the one, one thing that I really like about Fingence specifically is that, like, it promotes teamwork mm-hmm. because yeah. of the co-op roguelike nature of it. So, like, you can, I imagine, I don't, I've never played Children of Marta, but I imagine, like, Ellen, you can serve a different role than Eric could and so, like, you can do different things and feel, as a team, more, uh, you know, better than, like, if you were to, uh, you feel more, like, more competent, I guess, at the game than mm-hmm. if yeah. you were to play it by yourself because, like, roguelikes are notoriously punishing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Right, there's some yeah, it, waving the banner, like the team banner. Yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. just as good as climbing the mountain by yourself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, and in this game, um, you know, there I think there are many so many roguelikes out there and i think those that do have co-op components have different approaches to them but this one you're both playing 
characters that are available as player characters. So the balance be- of power between you two, between the two players, is fairly equal. There's one okay. lead player and there's one, you know, uh, support player. Right. There's a Mario but, and a Luigi. I get it. Yeah, but you're both acting independently, and you both have like the same breadth of skills. You just yeah. have really different skills. So we started playing uh, with Eric playing as a tank, and I was playing the archer because that's I think the, just the default characters you can start with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then we. Uh, played enough where we unlocked the kind of like the rogue character Ooh. who's like very emo teen kid and the storyline's really they're very it's really, they, they put a lot of effort into the storyline yeah mm-hmm. which is not I, like i didn't expect that from a roguelike so yeah, much yeah, yeah. um like all these characters are all from the fam- same like family uh-huh. guardians of the forest family so and- we switched it around a little bit and then i played the tank and he played the rogue and so, so that's gonna the be rogue is like fun. teenager of morta <laughs> <laughs> I'm not far enough to know who exactly the children of North are. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Find out more more to be revealed in a future episode. Yeah. Meanwhile, in this household, uh, all that's getting played is Civilization VI. Like, <laughs> yeah. Dale. For, for a few weeks now, right? Listeners know is, yeah, just she's playing nothing but Civ VI now. And it's, um, it's I, I, I'm a little worried because the one more turn is a real, it's a real illness. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's suffered to it. But it's also really yeah. fun because we've all been getting together every week to play a multiplayer game. And yeah. uh, Dale has been, uh, I wouldn't say dominating, but she's definitely playing smarter than most of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, she's took I over most of the that. continent and has the largest standing army, the most yep. cities, yep. like the fastest production. We're all complaining yep. about things and she's like, it's not a problem for me. So, <laughs> Right, these barbarians coming in with their swords and stuff and Dale's got a nuke. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that age ago. We, yeah. went, we we all went to war against the Aztecs, and I had one unit. I'm like, Dale, can I join your army? And she's like, Sure. And I'm like, What should I attack? And she's like, I don't care. I have it covered. And I'm like, Okay, fine. Oh, I just want to be. I just want to be useful. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you go. Just hit that over there. Yeah. Good job. Sir. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh well okay so take Ellen's transition from before yeah and put it here is this are you this is an instruction to the listener or to me who's going to be editing this episode <laughs> um <laughs> both of uh, you no that doesn't make sense listener pretend that that transition was better uh-huh. uh, <laughs> we're talking about we're, burnout now <laughs> this is maybe a good use case for Martha's stand-in transition <laughs> yeah you know that topic it's time for the next one. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah um, I guess I want to talk about burnout because uh, it is a thing that you know. Uh, I think everyone experiences this in, at a point in their career, mm-hmm. um, and so like I just want to talk about it. So, uh, Alan, you posted this World Health Organization link that they have a definition of burnout, which is uh, you know valuable. It's an official definition mm-hmm. defined in the ICD eleven. I don't know what that is, but it sounds important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as a resulting as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions. Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativity or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional f- efficacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... In in relation to like video games, this comes up quite a lot because uh, 
you know, uh, the AAA developers and some indie developers are notoriously uh, uh, forcing employees through crunch. And so, mm-hmm. like, they'll constantly be working through things. And eventually, you get to the point where you've been working so hard for so long that, like, you just you start to feel these effects. You start to feel burnout. And so I, I wanted to talk about how how burnout is, like, expressed in, in a human's body and, like, why it happens and, like, maybe some of the burnout that we've experienced and maybe some ways we can you can deal with it if, if, if there's anything you can do about it. I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, when it comes to burnout in the industry, they oftentimes just leave the industry and go somewhere else right? where they feel better treated. Um, this is like, I guess this is more of a systemic issue with all of these things, mm-hmm. not, not just like burnout, but just, you know, there's a lot of things that we can improve upon in the game industry. And so like, um, I, I, it, we could talk about those at length, I suppose, but like, I guess I want to talk about it from like a microscopic level. What can me uh, say as an example do to help myself or other people deal with burnout um, is what I was trying to approach it. But uh, moving back a little bit, I just wanted to talk about like, what does it mean to feel burnout? Have y'all experienced, have you felt like you've experienced burnout in the past? Um, yeah, for like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen, do you want to describe a little bit about like what that felt like or maybe what came, what, how it came to be? Uh, I say like I keep doing it to myself, which is uh, a character flaw. Um, I first felt burnout after I started teaching. Okay. Because teachers, especially early tenure teachers or non-tenure teachers, but teachers who are early in their career, Mm -hmm. they work a ton. Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's stressful because they haven't built up the support network in their school districts yet that older teachers have. They haven't built up relationships with families that, that long-term teachers have. Um, and they don't have good professional boundaries and they haven't built their curriculum yet. So they're completely started from scratch. The other thing that tends to happen is new teachers, um, are expected to step forward and do extracurriculars. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I did all those things and it was really tough. And yeah. um, I was also in a very rural district where there really wasn't a place to live. So mm-hmm. I wasn't living in a proper home. Oh, wow. Um, with a proper kitchen. So I was basically living on burritos and monster. Oh, <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you look at, if you just try to take that and kind of generalize it, it kind of keeping in mind what the world health organization was telling us, um, you can look at kind of all those factors. Like it, it was lots of working hours every week, kind of endlessly yeah, consistent and it was just endless. Um, not great sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, not great nutrition, not great activity because of all the hours I was working. Um, kind of, kind of a shaky support network, I guess would be one. Sure. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is also this feeling of lack of control because that feeling of just like endless exhaustion uh, that you mentioned in the, in the description. Yeah. If you feel control over how much of that exhaustion you're going to take on, then when you feel like it's getting to be too much, you say, okay, I'm taking a vacation. Right. I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to take it, you know, I'm going to try something else. But mm-hmm. if you're in a position where you feel like you are trapped to your commitment, you're completely tied in with your commitment. You can't break it or you can't take any time away. Then there's really no relief. Mm-hmm. 
So I feel like that might be a factor. Um, yeah. And I've done that. I've done that to myself. After I left teaching and went into instructional design, I did that to myself too. <laughs> so it's, it's, I think also to keep, it's not just the industry you're in. You also have to look at your personal tendencies to right. overcommit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you, yeah. like, because I, I, I also have switched careers and found that the things that uh, that led me to burnout in one uh, reared its head again in another. Um, and I don't know that I was surprised necessarily, but let me ask you, like, um, did you feel like when you started seeing those things happen to you again, were you like shocked or were you like, oh, of course. Like, did you think that you were going to leave a lot of that behind with teaching? Because I think when people like move away from something that they, they either have lost a passion for or it's a it's a, a an unhealthy environment or um, it's a not the right thing for them and they move to somewhere else. It's easy to think that all the bad things you've left, you left behind all the bad things. Yeah, no, I definitely think that you, you got me. I think that I did <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Uh, when I left teaching, I thought that leaving that industry would or calling or however you want to describe it would free me from those dynamics, mm -hmm. um, which I think I'm pretty sensitive to. Yeah. And it, and it didn't, those dynamics are present wherever people need things to be done, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Uh, and so when it happened to me another time, I realized that it wasn't just, it wasn't necessarily the field I was in or the role I was in. It was really that I liked to push myself really hard and right. to make sure that I was mindful of my levels of stress and give myself permission to not do stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did something similar where uh, I was, um, I was an indie film and, um, and, and video editing. That was the sort of my, my, my passion my career and my hobby was sort of everything. And then uh, I moved into games and I took a lot of those skills and talents and even freelance work with me. So it's sort of like blended. But the one thing that changed in my life was um, the the different communities I was a part of. So yeah. like the indie film mm -hmm. community, the people who um, work on independent projects and who share jobs with each other with commercial clients. And um, so it's a professional and social environment, very similar to like our local indie dev community, right? It's just a different mm -hmm. field. And the thing that when I, I got really, really, um, it was, it was, it became a bad situation for me because I wasn't, I was providing a lot of um, uh, sort of support, like emotional support, which we all were for each other. Yeah. But ultimately, because of like my particular set of expertise, I was called on to do that and nothing else. And so it became, I, like a you know everyone's had a job where like they can't grow and mm -hmm. that is something that i found but it was it was my friends who were they were all they were staffing for music videos and yeah. there weren't a lot of editors and there were almost no animators and so i only ever got to do that and um so it was so it was very frustrating for me and it wasn't anybody's fault right but it was a situation mm -hmm. that led to a lot of burnout because i felt less and less invested in projects i felt less like this project would matter to me going forward I stopped adding things to my reel because it's like, who cares? I have enough of this. And so it got really, really frustrating. And I realized, well, if I'm not going to uh, have a different kind of professional relationship uh, with a lot of these people, this is fine. I, I needed to move away. And I didn't feel a lot of the sort of support, that community support that you were mentioning. 
that I, I felt like, oh, there's not enough of that here. And that's leading to a lot of my problems. I moved yeah. into the game dev community where like commu- like the community I found a lot better. Um, yeah. Partly because okay. our like our jam, our game jam environments are a lot more. Uh, the culture around them is different. And I just I, I everything I was missing and unhappy about with that community, which was not related to any particular people, um, yeah. but there's just the structure of it. All of that was better in indie dev. Uh, just okay. all of it was better. And I think I overestimated how what that would do for me because <clears throat> I because I have a lot of the same feelings of frustration and burnout and uh, um, in games and it shouldn't surprise me because it's mm. not that it you know what I mean it's it, I just I, maybe I put too much Ellen like you were saying like there's the 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 things you thought you left behind or the things that um, you didn't expect to come back again and then then you're like well wait what is causing this then I thought I diagnosed it right mm-hmm. yeah and then that can be like oh and then you, it, you can this sort of feelings of hopelessness or it can it can be really really difficult um right. if if you uh and i think that i don't know if that's unique necessarily to uh, situations that ellen and i are describing where it sort of something comes back around but it can be a it can be a special kind of loss when it happens again right sure. oh yeah yeah well yeah because yeah. you felt like you moved away from it yeah, you thought, you thought you, that like, like, oh, I did the work. I got better. It's yeah, like I, I, yeah. I, I learned something. And maybe it right. turns out you didn't learn that much after all. Yeah. Right. Honestly, that's kind of what I'm feeling now a little bit, too. Yeah. Uh, like, because I, I think I've been feeling some some burnout at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that part of it is, I mean, I think a lot of people are probably experiencing some form of burnout right now anyways, because, you know, we're all in quarantine. We're still in quarantine. And um, the, the isolation. Uh, might be getting to people mm-hmm. uh, and you know there's a lot of, a lot of things have been happening in the news and stuff and it, it, it is right a lot. i know people are, have been saying this for like years that a lot of things have been happening in the news yeah. and it's a lot but like i don't know i think it's all like hitting me more now and maybe part of that is just because i'm by myself so i can't like i can't really express how i'm feeling about it as easily mm-hmm. yeah because i'm just sitting by myself um, oh boy, this this is turning into a rant. I guess. <laughs> That's fine. It's your platform. Um, it is. <laughs> um, but at any rate, like I, I the I've been, I felt like I, I've talked a little bit. Of, I think I've talked a little bit about like my experience uh, when I went up to Duluth to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know how much I've expressed it on the show, but uh, I could do a little bit of that here. Um, I, I so I went out to like I originally went to school for mechanical engineering. Twin Cities campus, University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. And I, uh, I flunked out because like I didn't do well in classes and stuff. And like I had friends and things, but like I just didn't pay attention to my studies. Um, and so I, um, my dad kind of pulled some strings because he went to the Duluth campus. Um, and he got me to go to the Duluth campus. That's where my brother was going to. And I, what I, what I experienced there was really more, I mean, it was a burnout because I, I guess I was still a student, so I guess I could have experienced burnout as a student. But I, I think it was really more of a form of depression, where like Ellen's I just like, was... mm, are you sure? <laughs> getting that right? Because Ellen, you went to Duluth. You went to the Duluth campus. You had a great time, right? Well, I was mostly just talking in my head at the idea that you can't experience burnout oh, as a student. No. Oh yeah, you can't. You totally can't experience burnout as a student. Okay. I don't think I was experiencing uh, the kind of burnout that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Like, yeah, I, I know that. Like, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, at any rate, like I was up, yeah, I was up in Duluth and I felt like I felt a form of isolation because like all of my 
all the friends and stuff that I had were all in the Twin Cities. Like yeah. family and stuff in the Twin Cities. I didn't really know anybody up in Duluth. Um, I felt like, um, I mean, I feel like this kind of just in general, just because of like with you know groups of people that uh, I tend to be around. But like, I do tend to feel like I'm like the only black person in most circles. There was, there is like a black student association up at uh, UMD, but like I didn't feel connected to them at all. Um, right. And so like, really, I only had my brother as like a person I could talk to. There was, um, I don't, I don't think we've ever had Lizzie on the show, but like Lizzie, um, who used to work at uh, Pixel X I work, um, she was a person who was like trying to get people together to make games and stuff. And so like other, like that helped me out a lot because that was like basically the only thing I could look forward to every week. Um, but in any rate, I basically felt like I felt like I didn't have any energy to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I felt like I was just kind of stuck up there. Um, the one thing I was able to have energy for was making games. And so thankfully I was able to, you know, I worked on Fingence while I was up there and that helped me. That helped me, you know, uh, and then I had like a job in, um, in the Twin Cities campus or on Twin, in the Twin Cities because like I was working on the weekends. Um, and so like I was able to do some stuff and like that job helped me get the job that I have now that job cool. has vengeance, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm starting to feel those, that sense of isolation and stuff too here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, I think it's, I mean, a lot of it is probably because I'm in quarantine and I just don't get mm-hmm. to socially interact with people. Mm-hmm. But like, it also feels weird because like now I'm starting to feel social anxiety where I don't want to interact with people. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, um, it sounds like the, the, um, what you're describing now in isolation yeah. as well as like your time in Duluth because you're not yeah. describing that as you being so under pressure that it's burnout but I think what you're yeah. describing is the bar for for that it just lowers right yeah. it's easier to get overwhelmed and exhausted uh, even under like what you would in other times call an, a normal set of stressors yes um, well, right yeah actually that's a very good point because like I was doing all of the same stuff I was doing before but I didn't feel this form of exhaustion mm-hmm. um, that I have been. But and I, it's it's really felt like exhaustion towards work specifically. Mm. Like I do a lot of things. Like I do nice mm-hmm. games club. I ha- I'm still working on vengeance. I do a bunch of stuff. Um, but I still have well, I have less enthusiasm for all those things too. To be honest, except nice games club, we're great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, but, Steven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, a little bit of that, too, just because, like, I felt exhaustion. Well, I should say, and this should go to, like, for people who are working on projects together with friends or with people you're close to or who you believe, like, it's okay to to be a little bit less motivated, and it's okay to talk to your collaborators about that. Yeah. Right? You shouldn't feel like, you know, Steven, you know, uh, he's joking, but then he said, like, a little bit, like, he he can can trust us Uh with that revelation. And I think, hopefully, the people in your life who you're entwined with you can trust them with that as well i i can and oil and that's part of that's what feels great about well actually that's a lot of it honestly Mm -hmm. i think that like i feel pretty well supported in all the other jobs i work at except for my main job Mm -hmm. um and so that like i like that definition um that the the who posted about burnout because like it it feels pretty accurate i don't have much of a support system at work or at least i don't have easy access to a support system at work, I guess I had a better support system before because, like, we were all in contact. Right. Um, it's much harder to get in contact with people now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About stuff. Um. And so, 
I don't feel as well supported. And so like, it doesn't feel like it's worth it. doesn't feel like it's worth my time to work on work stuff more now. It's not as personally rewarding. Yeah. Like, I, that doesn't feel like the yeah. right phrase, but I know, I know what but you that's, mean. that's kind of what it is. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's kind of, that's what it yeah. really is like that kind of stuff. And but so like that's, mm, go ahead. The you're working from home. And so yeah. when you think of time devoted to work, work, you're you're taking time that you're spending at home and giving it to work. Mm-hmm. So that might be a big part of it is that yeah. It, do you know what I mean when you say it's not worth it it's because if you're if you get home late and there and you bring some work home with you mm-hmm. that can feel exhausting and not worth it. And right. it just in, incidentally that's what every day feels like even mm-hmm. if you haven't started work yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is how it feels. Like you I just think a lot to, of people like, feel that way, uh, working from mm-hmm. home either for the first time or for uh, not a lot of experience with that. Um, right. Yeah, and I don't have a lot of experience work. Like Mark, you do this. You work from home regularly. You have better understanding yeah, of like that I've, kind of. I'm work. all the way off the deep end with this, so it's not like it's a <laughs> it's a coping mechanism, not a skill. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Stephen, you've seen Mark's chair, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's he all knows, in. He knows what's up. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> Stephen, you were saying before the show that uh, you just you've noted that I have a tendency to like if I am exhausted, I will power through till it's finished on yeah. a project or or a thing or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that has been very beneficial. And part of it is because I don't have the same concept of time or space that most people <laughs> do. Okay. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this when we talked about like working setups, right? A couple mm, episodes yeah. back. Um, yeah. But definitely, it's a case where um, I will ignore those those um, those signs for very long because I have to right. because yeah. because I, uh, by nature my career and 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 the work I do on my own has always required that flexibility that that mm-hmm. now people are being faced with and so it, I would like to be able to offer advice on how to manage things like that but like it's just I don't know struggling under it for years is all you can do. <laughs> Well, practice. Yeah, yeah. You you you've grown accustomed to it, I suppose. Yes, yeah. It's comfortable for me. Yeah, in, in a yeah. way. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, it does feel like I have to actively like push myself to start doing work mm-hmm. more. Like when I would travel to work and be it, like then I'm at work. And so, like, I mean, part of it is like I don't have access to all of the other things I normally have access to when I'm at home. But the other part of it is like, you know, I'm in a completely different place, and all the other people around me are doing work. But like if I'm not doing work socially, you're, you know, and you're like uh, exiling yourself, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now at this point, like I don't have that pressure. So like it's it's more difficult for me to do it. But I like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think more and more that like I am missing that support system that I used to have um, for at work. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. getting that as much anymore. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I think that this is something that is experienced by a lot of people. Um, in in their different careers, I think that like it, ca- like it, it, if it doesn't feel like you, the company, your company you're working for, or the group you're working for, or whatever has your best interests at heart, it can start to feel like you're wasting your time working on this thing, and then it can also start to feel like it's not, um, it's not the company that's the problem. It's like the whole the whole uh, industry that might have this issue. And like, mm-hmm. there are, there are, there may be some issues in your, in the industry that have this problem, but like it, it starts to become, it starts to just feel like all of the choices you made mm-hmm. um, are not the right choices, mm-hmm. I guess. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's normal to feel burnout. I guess this is, this is my yeah. message to the, to any listeners who might be, who might be working through these kinds of things right now is it's normal to feel burnout. That's not, uh, it doesn't mean that there's something like fundamentally wrong with you. Yeah. Um, you know, we've mentioned over the last 10 minutes or so kind of different dynamics that come into a workplace or, mm-hmm. you know, an, an institution that can that can contribute to burnout. Um, And then also, of course, like you might be more sensitive to those dynamics and get burnt out faster. There's no, there's no right way. There's no right threshold for that. Like you have to respect your own limits. Um, I am not going to be able to run like Usain Bolt. Like that's cool. Mm -hmm. I have to respect my own limits as an athlete. That's a laughable term right now. I don't think <laughs> I'm gone to the, I mean, the gym has been closed for months. So yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm never going to swim like Michael Phelps. Like that's, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do my own things well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, gotta respect your limits. And if you can push yourself, great. Also respect yourself if you feel like you can't. Yeah. The other thing to remember, I think, is that if you are mentally tired, you will be less productive and then you will, if you like be careful, be careful to push yourself when you're super tired because you will be less productive and then you'll have to push yourself more mm-hmm. because you're yeah. being less productive and you'll get more tired. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just better to take a break yeah. and yeah. just, I, it took me a long time to get to that point, but I had, uh, and I still have the pleasure of working with this person, a really great project manager, actually a lot of really great project managers, um, who I could say, and when I was working in, in design space, I could say, Hey, I, I know I need to do this. I just don't have the mental fortitude to, to do this writing right now or to do this design right now. Like I need to go to bed. I need to just like check out for the next several hours and I'll do a little bit earlier tomorrow morning. And usually that was fine. It's just the communication piece. Yeah. Um, right. I'm not sure if that's the case for you, Stephen, but that has, that has worked for me is communicating about that at, you know, communicating about that and asking for reasonable accommodation like asking asking to say hey hey i've been working for 50 hours a week for the last three weeks and i need yeah. some time off yeah that is not unreasonable it is a reasonable request <laughs> right right totally is yeah, yeah. it's that um, support system that, that you're mm-hmm. talking about that ellen's describing um a, a good example of that yeah right and like i have like uh, mental support systems, out, I guess, outside of work and at work, frankly. But like, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of like. It doesn't feel like I could go to my boss or supervisor and say, "Hey, I'm having a hard time with this kind of thing. Uh, I need more time," because mm-hmm. of, like just the way things feel. Um, yeah, uh, but like, I, I like, I like I, all of that you just said, Ellen, was was, was wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you said all that stuff because I think that like it's important to. I think it's important for people to know that, like, you know, you're not broken because you're starting to feel some form of burnout in mm-hmm. your career choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's something that, yeah, it's something that everyone experiences. Uh, and I think that, like, I guess, I, like, I want to talk about, like, like, uh, like you were talking about, Ellen, I want to talk about some ways that, like, you can try to deal with it or try to, you know, improve the situation for yourself as best you can. Uh, I mean, it's difficult because, like, at the end of the day, your the, your company or whoever you're working for, you know, needs you to get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even if it's just a group, even if it's just yourself, you mm-hmm. you need to get something done. And so like mm-hmm. you have to figure out strategies to help yourself get through this period, um, through this period you're experiencing. Um, so yeah, I wanted to ask y'all like what, um, what what you have done in the past to help you go through it. Mark, do you want to go first? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Mark's answer is more caffeine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it is difficult because yeah. a lot of a lot of what burns me out is like mm-hmm. my own expectations. And yeah. I'm I am super good about saying about estimating how long something's going to take. Like I'm mm-hmm. not I'm I don't I overwork oh. myself. But wait, what, Ellen? I was like, it's the holy grail. Yeah. the guy who can estimate. Oh, uh, I mean, when you've been freelancing this long with fickle clients, like it, it's fair it, enough. It eventually you eventually figure it out. You know where mm-hmm. the, where the wiggle room is. You know where to overestimate. You know, you know, you you learn it. Um, yeah. you're never perfect at it, but, but so what I mean to say is that when I'm, when I'm putting the pressure on myself, um, it's not so much about getting this much of work done in this time. Yeah. It's more like what the work, like being satisfied with the work. Right. Sure. And so whether that means like that this is good enough for the standards I've set or, um, you know, if it's a game that this is selling enough or mm-hmm. that this is getting enough attention or for a nice games club that like our download numbers moving uh, up at a, a rate that I'm happy with because yeah. what I tend to feel is like there's a lot of effort you need to put in to keep things the way they are mm-hmm. and and you and I very frequently will put more effort and more effort and more effort and then I won't see the kinds of I mean result is not the right word for it but like I won't feel better about putting having put more work into it I'll, mm. I'll I'll be very frustrated at like well why did I bother, and independent of like the the pride in the work itself or the stress that the work caused me because like like I was mentioning like I can power through a lot and I can ignore those signs and it can be very helpful because I can get tired and fall asleep later but like yeah. I don't I don't suffer th- through that a lot so I feel lucky in a sense that I but. But then I get very emotionally attached to the value of the work. Mm. Am I make, am I describing this kind of? I, I think it's. I, yeah. It, this yeah. relates to a thing for a lot of game devs where, when um when you finish a project is when a lot of people feel the most burnt out when you no longer mm-hmm. have anything to do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's that's happened to me on films I've worked on where. I did all this work to like put together the and it's like a it's a thirteen minute short film right it's not. You know, I'm not building the Tower of Babel and Mm -hmm. and I get all of it done. But in order to make good on the work, I now need to submit to festivals and I need to start working on the next project. And I need to, you know, I need to do a lot. I need to build the web, like just anything that games are the same thing, right? There's more than just the work. There's the supporting work. And Mm -hmm. you can find yourself being even if you organize things well, you find yourself suddenly being like really demotivated to do the final steps to to give the work value in the world independent of the work itself um Mm -hmm. and 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 so uh this happened to me on widget satchel where um you know i i finished widget satchel and then i immediately didn't care about it like like immediately not that i thought any of it was a waste of time not that i thought any of the work wasn't good i suddenly just didn't care anymore and it was, and I, that I had to do that 
because otherwise it would be very crushing emotionally. Because uh, yeah. like I won't really get into it, but the week Widget Satchel launched was a terrible week for me, like personally. Um, like I lost a lot of things and it was a really bad week. And so I had to shut myself off and say like, okay, like I can't care. And some, it was some, some of that, like that emotional satisfaction of doing the work. Like, I think we talked about on the show before, like we didn't expect Widget Satchel to sell a copy, right? I think we were yeah. with a pretty healthy idea about that. So I never yeah. had any emotion tied to its success in the market, right? I think for all of us, it was a portfolio piece. We all were hoping it would, it would do well and, and, and and um and I think by that standard it did fine. Um yeah. but um but I, I had to shut myself off in that moment. And then what followed was a long period of not being able to do much at all. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, it is interesting because burnout is really about like overworking yourself. I mean, that's the with the clinical definition. But I see yeah. it in game developers, it's talked about a lot in the moment when you're after you're done. That yeah. it happens a lot. Huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's the same. It is the same. It's the same feeling. You go through the same stuff, um, but yeah. suddenly you don't have those demands on you, or or maybe it's about you can't work on the next project or whatever. But um, I guess I'm just trying to. I'm rambling now, but I'm trying to reconcile the con- the contradictions. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an emotional vacuum. Does that make sense? Like Stephen, how did you feel after um, Treasure Stack uh, came out? Because that was you. Ha- you had a you had a rough launch. You had to like uh, push out some bug patches. Um, did. How did you feel? Do you have a similar sense of burnout when that game was done? I didn't know, but I wasn't as emotionally. I wasn't very emotionally attached to. Okay, because it wasn't your design. Yeah, and so it was like, a lot of your hard code. work. I mean, that game. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, game, I worked on it. Yeah. Uh huh. But like, it it didn't. It, I wasn't as attached to it because yeah, it wasn't my design. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, it it kind of felt like Treasure Stack was the cause of a lot of drama in our in the job uh-huh so uh so you were happy I, I to see it out the door i was yeah honestly i was kind of at that point <laughs> <laughs> um and so like it uh yeah so i didn't experience that form i didn't really experience the, it was more of a relief it was like oh i could finally not feel as stressed out about this because uh you know it's finally out the door even though there were all these bugs and stuff i had to fix yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't yeah it didn't feel so it didn't it didn't feel that way to me well, that's good. I mean, that's a sign of a, like, you know, you say like there's drama at work related to it, but like you didn't, I guess you didn't really crunch near the end, right? You probably worked a little hard to mm-hmm. get things done as a deadline. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but it seems like you had a healthy relationship to that work. Mm. Yes. And then yeah. what, ha- what happened after? Like, what were the next, once that patch went out? Um, yeah. Was, was it well, like, a, was it a bunch of, was it a lot lighter workload? Was it a, a, a relief or was, did it? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a little bit, it was, yeah, I think it was a bit more of a lighter workload. Um, and then like, uh, well, yeah, cause like it wasn't, we weren't like, you know, really pressured to make sure that the game was coming out at a certain date. We just kind of, you know, released it when we were ready. Yeah. It felt like, and like it got ready in a reasonable or quick enough time where it didn't right. feel like we were slow. Um, and so like that felt good, but like I, it, it was also what was nice about that is like, for a little while, it was kind of just experimentation. Like I just got to mess around with what would eventually become Rhythm Rumble. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And things and so like that felt good. Like I, I felt like I was able to like um, try to do some things that like I wanted to do. Yeah, that's a good um, strategy. I think when you have that feeling of like moving on from a project, is yeah. to take a, like a work vacation where you get to play with the next idea. If you have yeah. the luxury to be able to do that, and you had the mm-hmm. support system in your day job to be able to yes. play with the next idea, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so that was good. So that yeah, that's an avenue um, that like could help with that. Is like find something 
that you're more excited to do and like work on that or find something different that you want to work on. Right. A, a treat, a reward for having yeah. put in all the time. Because you, yeah. you know you've done a good job. You yeah, yeah. Deserve yeah. a reward, and the reward is, I guess, more work, but it's different work. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that's counts. That's totally yeah. valid. Oh, yeah, it is a vacation from what you've been doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellen, you, you're, you're uh, the work you're doing now at work. You've, you've, you've said you're pretty emotionally invested in. Um, but mm-hmm. are there past projects where you had that that real that that involvement? That how did you feel when those were out the door? Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Um. Like, were you ready to go to the next thing? Yeah, gosh, I don't even know if I can remember. Maybe that means I wasn't. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I was for like some of the longer projects I have been on. Um, like there's one example that was like. I worked on mostly software training for like a year. Yeah. So. And it's not like sexy software. This wasn't software designed by Adobe. This was like some custom system that someone back in the 90s made for the big company. And it's way too expensive for them to update it and change it. So instead, they'll just spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> so like 12 months of writing software training. Yeah. Um, I think... I didn't, I wasn't very emotionally invested in that work mm-hmm. for one. Right. So it didn't really burn me up because I wasn't putting a lot of myself into it. Yeah. Even though I was putting a lot of hours into it, right. I wasn't putting a lot of myself. Into yeah. It. Yeah. Um, well, you know what it sounds like? So that, it sounds like the, um, there's a metric, there's like a, a, to use some kind of metaphor, you have like, you can fill the bucket with something and you can fill it with time, difficulty, um, workplace drama or emotional <laughs> investment. But eventually yeah. it will overflow. And, and, yeah. and so and that's maybe what what's the commonality between all these types of experiences that we've shared is that, yeah, eventually it overflows. It, it's not but it's not any one thing that will cause it. Yeah, right. It's, it's a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. It's, a di- it's dynamics between several different things. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like feeling I think the thing I think the thing that was that has been really that has contributed to some periods of burnout in my work as a learning experience designer is, you know, working for a firm. Mm. Once that thing ends, there's another thing right lined up for you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so I have learned that what is best for me and therefore best for my career, best for my practice. And I think I'm a pretty good learning experience designer. So like overall, probably best for like, like it's an overall positive for learners and with the industry and the things I'm involved in is mm-hmm. it's best in the long term if I don't let my bucket overflow. Yeah. Yeah. So if that means that I have to take like some time regularly to just stop and dump some of the bucket out, like I need to, I, I have given myself permission to do that instead of just right, right. pushing through until whatever feels like whatever I'm working on feels done. Like I've shifted my perspective from a series of projects that get done to a long-term career that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has enabled me to say no more. Yeah. And that has been a pretty healthy shift. So now like I'm, you know, working a lot on something that I am in- emotionally invested in. And I don't feel burnt out because I know like, okay, yep. I, this week was tough, but I know this next week will be better. And I'm going to do this to make sure that I'm managing my stress and my workload and so on and so forth mm-hmm. leaning on my support network and just yeah. being honest. And that yeah. has 
that has really, really helped. And so it's a neat, all that, all that I've learned, all I've, you know, I've learned about myself that I need to take time, learned that I need to say no, learned that I need to explicitly ask for support. I feel like I've finally got to a place where I'm actually able to put it into practice. And so, yeah. um, it, again, it's the long-term perspective, right? So those are the strategies that Stephen was asking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, but the trick yeah. is, is that, uh, you're able to use those things to, to empty a little bit of the bucket. But, um, Stephen, as you're describing your work environment, um, and, and the, like the issues I'm facing, uh, mm-hmm. we have different tools, fewer or of a different number or shape or size than Ellen yeah. has to empty the bucket. And so, yeah. but what Ellen describes is, is a, is a, a, a little suite of tools that not just one, you, uh, you've yeah. laid out a couple that can be really mm-hmm. helpful for, I think a lot of people, um, yeah. So I think that's pretty yeah. valuable, but it's not going to solve everybody's problem in all cases. Right. It's not. And I think this is why everybody talks about like, you know, like brainstorms on what to do because it's, it's yeah. hard to define. It's hard to, it, you know, it's hard to diagnose. And, it, you know, and every situation is different. Yeah. Like, yeah. Situation I mean, it manifests different. itself in different ways, but it's also like a different situation for every person. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Just because you're experiencing burnout does not mean you're experiencing burnout for the same reason. Yeah. But I think it's a lot of what like, Ellen said, I think, Stephen, you can take some of that directly to, to the, yeah. the things you're feeling um, and so. can probably help you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, that is helpful. Thank mm-hmm. you. So, so, okay. <laughs> no, no, I, I got this, Stephen. I got this. Go, Let go me do this it, one. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, so like we were talking about how everyone's experienced burnout, right? And yeah, and yeah. maybe that some of our listeners have more ideas to share, or they maybe yeah. want to talk to the community about, you know, some more strategies and techniques for dealing with that stuff. So, is there a place that people can go to do that? I don't know. We better make one quick. Yeah. Okay. I'll really quick go on Discord and type it up. Oh, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got nice Look games. Look at that. It's <laughs> yep. It's nicegames.club/discord. Oh wow. So is this like a whole Discord server with like tons of channels and a lot of rules? It doesn't sound like us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we have a channel on the the Twin Cities Game Dev Discord. We've give, we've created for our listeners to communicate with us and people in the community. Um, so if you have input about the topic burnout uh, or other topics that we have talked, we talked about a lot of topics, y'all. Um, <laughs> please come to our Discord. You can go to nicegames.club slash Discord. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Well, um, one at a time, we, uh, we make it to the second topic here. 
uh, asynchronous and asymmetric gameplay. That's that's the best transition I can offer. I'm sorry. I mean, it was it's, it's good. It's okay. good. All right. It's Thanks. Uh, kind of obscure. I saw what you were going for. I'm feeling supported in this work environment. Um, uh. <laughs> okay. So um, this is. Uh, it, I didn't just combine these because they sound the same. There's a there's a mm. there's a method to this madness. So okay. Um, I think a lot of people know what these terms mean, but I'll just lay them out. So. Um, asynchronous gameplay is, uh, you know, these are these are both usually for, you know, multiplayer uh, type games, but multiple players yeah. not playing at the same time. Uh, very often it's competitive multiplayer, um, uh, but you're not playing at the same time someone else is playing. So I make a move and then you make a move whenever you've got time. Right. Yeah. Um, and but essentially any turn based game works this way, even if you're sitting at mm-hmm. a table together. But generally, yeah. uh, you know, correspondence chess, chess by mail. This is what people think of as, you know, words with friends is a more modern uh, example. Um, mm. And uh, so a- that's uh, asynchronous gameplay. Asymmetric gameplay um, is basically when you have multiple players who are doing different things. So they're not engaging <laughs> with the same gameplay systems. Um, it, very frequently, uh, they're, um, they're, it, it is still um, uh, a- asymmetric and asynchronous, but uh, especially in a lot of video games, it's, uh, it's real time and asymmetric. So these do inter, these do connect or they combine in some cases. But the reason I want to talk about them together it changes multiplayer mechanics, right? Yeah. And that's that's what they share mm-hmm. in common is that it's multiplayer mechanics where players operate independently. So yeah. if it's asynchronous, it means they're operating independent of time. And uh, if it's asymmetric, they're operating independent of mechanic. And so I think oh, there's a, that's, um, that's what I think connects them a little bit. And I, I think that's about a good it. description of it. I like that. Yeah. And I, I do want to think about when we do some of these topics, I, um, it is, it's really valuable to sometimes think of, two that go together because I don't think people talk about it a lot. I think about mm-hmm. people talking about, oh, there's I have all list these examples of asymmetric games. Like, you know, I have a couple of here. Um, so like a uh, spy party is one where one yeah. person is the spy and, and the other person is the assassin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a werewolf is, a, is an example. There's a party game yeah. um, where uh, uh, it, it's asymmetric uh, uh, gameplay. Evolve is a, is a video game that didn't do great, but it had a great asymmetric concept where you had like four hunters and one monster. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, the it has a real different experience because sometimes I mean, like if you like tag is asymmetric, right? Like one person's yeah. it. But like um, I think video games have uh, there's some video game concepts that allow for wildly different experiences. And I think right. that is really uh, interesting. But what that means is that those players are playing different games. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's it, it. And that I think has a similar kind of feeling as a designer, as something that is asynchronous, where you it's the, maybe the same mechanics um but it's you, the players are not interacting right they're not right. the mechanics do not involve direct interaction in, in a sense it's act and react and so i think there's something to be something there i think to connect them um in terms of like thinking as a designer how you want to uh, come up with new ways to do this and i think it's um so if you want to make a game that's either of these two types that's fantastic but i think you can use these concepts in games that are not wholly uh, one or the other, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I will. Um, I think that in terms of asymmetric gameplay, I think it's more challenging because of the reason you brought up, Mark. Mm-hmm. You're effectively making too many games um, that, like, one player is dealing or one player is doing and another player is uh, not doing. Yeah. Um, but they have to communicate in some form or fashion mm-hmm. um, to make a co- full cohesive game, and so that makes it more complicated. But I think that, like. Maybe you can use asynchronicity to like um, make that form of gameplay easier to 
design or balance around. Mm-hmm. One of the things asynchronous gameplay does is it slows down a game. Yeah. So the, the, the sort of er examples of correspondence chess is, you know, there are tournaments for correspondence chess. And you're like, how is that oh. just different from chess except slower? But the slower is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people who, who regularly, who like as a hobby, play correspondence chess will have dozens or hundreds of games going at once. And yeah, so, okay, yeah. um, and, uh, but not only that, there are rules that are similar to chess, but like in terms of like a, a turn limit, right? One of the things that makes chess challenging at high level play, a tournament play, is the, 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 the clock, right? You have okay. a certain amount of time for all your moves. And so uh, you want to, you, and as the game gets longer, if you waste the time earlier, you need to think faster later, and then that compromises your reasoning ability, right? So correspondence yeah. chess, when the, when the limit of snail mail for the person I'm playing halfway around the world, you know, in 1950 or whatever, uh-huh. is uh, it's 30 days, if we're playing regulations correspondence chess, it is a totally different thing. You can really, you can just, at your leisure, you can just like map out the next 30 moves and strategize. And, and other players can do different things with all that time. And right. so um, I think that's really interesting. Or something like Words with Friends is, you know, it's, it's correspondence Scrabble. And uh, you can look up definitions. You can test out all your different, you can take your, your tiles and you can test out spellings in a way that if you did it in Scrabble, people would be like tapping their watch and be like, get on with it. Right. Or yeah. it's just uh, <laughs> verboten by the rules, right? Mm-hmm. And so it changes, it's not just a convenience measure, right? Yeah. It changes a lot. And then that, that makes, and if people play in different fashions, that ultimately makes the game asymmetric. Because if I'm mm. playing my correspondence chess, like I play a normal chess game, and I'm yeah. playing six matches or something over time, um, but I'm not thinking linearly. I'm just thinking about in the moment because I, I just got this your turn, but I play was playing somebody else yesterday. So I'm not thinking about the continuity of yours. Mm. That's a different yeah. game than maybe you're playing where you're focused on this one game and you do like hours of research every month to yeah. plan the move, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose there's, yeah, that is true. And I like I like what you brought up about like a, asynchronous slowing down the pace of a game because yeah. like sometimes that is important. Like the, mm-hmm. we should have an episode on pacing in a game. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's like a topic in itself um, that we should go over. Like the, sometimes games need to be a little bit slower paced in order for the player to really feel that flow or yeah. get into yeah. the, get into the moment of whatever is happening. Um, and so like, I think that like asynchronous in, in a multiplayer game, this is a method that you can use to slow down a person's movement. I, that's, that, now that I think about it, like I'm thinking about the difference between like Anno 1800, mm-hmm. which is a real time, uh, game. That's kind of like civilization where like, you, you know, you're building your cities and stuff and you can yeah. try to, uh, compete with others to build, uh, get their islands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like civilization six is you know turn based and so like those you can see the difference between those two like in civilization six you can feel like it feels like you can think out your turns and it doesn't feel as pressured to make decisions but because of that like everybody is kind of like uh, on on the top of their game as, as far as their understanding of the game yes. works you can play like, optimally if you have right. the patience to play optimally right well yeah <laughs> well not just that but like you can play optimally up to your skill level right. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. I'm, yeah, saying, once you, what's that? I'm definitely not playing Civilization optimally, even when I'm playing it at my best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but as you as you get a better understanding of Civilization and stuff, your optimal turn will, mm-hmm. you know, my capacity. Ellen, um, Ellen optimal, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, whereas, like, in Anno, because it's real time, there's more, there's more things that happen that can, uh, that, like, because it's so, it's much more fast paced, you can't, you have to quickly make decisions. And so you can't, like, if something bad happens, you can't think about, like, how you're going to deal with it because like other things, other bad things can happen while you're sitting there thinking about stuff. Right. Mechanically, the game rewards, uh, instinctual thinking, um, or, um, like a, a, a good working knowledge of the rule set. Whereas in civilization, I'm free to check out that wiki at any time. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and like, honestly, Anno is not like super fast paced, Mm -hmm. but like it is faster than civilization because of that real time element. Yeah, um, yeah, you can't constantly. You can't. Yeah, you can't sit there and think about things all the time. You have to make decisions. You have yeah. to make them quickly. And like, it doesn't punish you. It, I think, generally speaking, it doesn't punish you so much that like you are doomed if you make any bad decisions. But mm-hmm. like, you know, you got to make them. You still have to make decisions quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I think the where, where these. I, I the reason I wanted to talk about these together. Another reason is because yeah. of the definition can be kind of fuzzy. Because I was thinking yeah. about, um, like asymmetry in terms of like motivations and not just mechanics um yeah. as a designer i really like games that where the controller's the instrument where the rules are simple um and where everybody has the same tools right mm-hmm. i don't I, I don't think i'll ever make a game that is class based like i mean okay. uh you know famous last words but like i'm not really <laughs> motivated to do that um sure. because i i i much I, I like a game like chess, right? Where yeah. where the 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 uh, it's it's wits against wits, right? Or reflex right. against reflex. And so, um, thinking about um, still finding a way to make those types of games asymmetric in terms of motivation, in terms of goals, in terms of situational asymmetric. So, um, you know, there are lots of uh, uh, shooter games that are like this, like capture the flag uh, uh, modes, where you mm-hmm. know it, suddenly you're the you're the defending team or whatever, right? And and yeah. and and but even though you're all essentially given the same tool set. And thinking about uh, Metro Nexus, um, which is a game where um, that I, that I, I'm making, where um, it's a real time game. It's arcade paced, right? Uh, it's a real time yeah. multiplayer competitive single screen battle game, and it's you know you, the, you don't need to know many more about that for this concept. But um, the 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 criteria by which you win a match is sort of up to players, so it just keeps a lot of data. So you decide whether you know lives or points or whatever mattered more, and that's it's, that's a fun gimmick for the game, but. It means that at any point in the game, you could be working at different goals than other players and they can change at any time. So and yeah. so you can assess what you want your motivation to be and then make actions which are asymmetric to another player who has the same tools, the same information. Yeah. And so so I want to th- so I want designers to think about these terms, both of these, not just in terms of genre, but in terms of like how you, how you can design a game to work this way. Mm-hmm. Um, civilization when we play civilization as a group we're all playing on the same team so we play right. with a rule set which is simultaneous turns so we're not wasting each other's time basically mm-hmm. um, yeah. you can play correspondence style where it's just one player after the other takes forever but you can but it's mm-hmm. fair right yeah. but mm-hmm. we just all entered a joint war against Montezuma that jerk and um, <laughs> we're all fighting and there's an example from yesterday when we were playing we we're all fighting in one city and yeah. um, and this is cement we're all playing at the same time uh, we're all playing our turn at the same time, but we generally we talk on chat. We say, "Oh, you move here, then I'll move there." So it's it's turn based. It's just it's fluid. But mm-hmm. we're, uh, I was saying, "Hey, I want this city that uh, that we're all fighting. I can, can I claim it uh, for yeah. my civilization?" And generally, everyone's like, "Okay, that sounds fine." But 
we're playing simultaneous turns. So if we wanted to be internally competitive, whoever clicks it first, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, Dale clicked it first. (laughs) 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 Right. I remember that moment too. I was, uh, I think we all had come to the realization. Well, maybe Dale was a little bit faster because she's so good at the game. (laughs) <laughs> um, but like we came to the realization that like we could take over the city and Dale was like, oh, no, I already took it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she traded it to me for a barrel of oil, which she desperately yeah. needed. So we're fine. It was fine. Uh-huh. Um, it's, and it's it, that, those moments are super fun for when we're playing all together because we there's no competitive instinct. So we're all just yeah. we're all giving each other our goals. And it, it's it's a it's a fun, uh, low stress time. But what it what it what it what it revealed to me is this idea of like a game that we were essentially playing asynchronously in the turn in or really apart from each other right not exactly Mm -hmm. asymmetric but we all working on our own thing and then Mm -hmm. when we come together we had to coordinate our actions so we had to build the framework for an asynchronous turn structure but the game itself was like go ahead and click that city it's yours and Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's a valuable tool as a designer to like think about those social structures which change how games can games can work moment to moment um, I'm, that's not, I don't think that's a design feature of civilization, but it could be a design feature of your game, you know, um, that's think, think about player trust as a mechanic and about rules adherence. It's not just for board games. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and there's a, there's a lot yeah. of mine there. That's really cool. Yeah. Like I, I, um, I guess I don't have a fully fresh thought, a uh, idea about like how, uh, what game this could this be. This is not a topic for fully fleshed out thoughts. Don't worry. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spilling, I'm spilling the beans. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I like I, what I'm imagining is like, I'm wondering like how that would feel in the moment for a player. Like, uh, if it was, uh, if it was relative, like it was, if the player is going through like a turn based game, but at certain points, there are, there are situations where like you and the uh, player have to compete through some form of reflex. Mm-hmm. How would that feel in that moment? As long as that's portrayed to both players equally, how would yeah, you feel? Yeah. Like, how would you feel about that? Well, the, uh, just because it's been on my mind lately, but the new Paper mm-hmm. Mario game, it'll be out by the time, uh, listener, you hear this, um, yeah. in which case the next few episodes might be late because I'll be playing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a game where um, that series has always flipped back and forth between real-time elements and turn-based elements. So yeah. that's not exactly what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I think it's... Um, and that feeling of switching modes, um, some players really love it. Um, because yeah. it's a flavor of one in the cake of the other, right? Yeah. And it ends up being a richer flavor altogether. All yeah. I don't know why I'm going for this metaphor, but but for other people, it feels <laughs> discordant, right? Mm-hmm. It's a major mm-hmm. uh, uh, scale and then a minor note, you know, like yeah. uh, to use another metaphor. And so um, so that's a case where you really got to survey your players. So like, who is it for mm-hmm. and what's, what right. are they like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that like Paper Mario has kind of just, I don't know. It kind of just does its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> After a certain point, you know, <laughs> just, I think a lot of an easy example for this, but 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 well, thinking about like changing these with a, a synchronous asynchronous gameplay, putting it in the hands of the player or of multiple yeah. players, and yeah. like how does does that feel? Um, uh, does that align with the ultimate goals of your game design? Yeah. And well, what's what's fascinating about that too, in the Paper Mario example specifically, I only played the RPG versions. Or RPG, I guess they're all RPG ish. Uh, but quote like, unquote. I only played the f- yeah, <laughs> but I only played the first two. Yeah. Um. And so like um uh, I like what's interesting about that game is like you could theoretically I don't think anyone does this but you could play it as a strictly turn based game where you just press the button do an attack Mario walks up to him hits him with the hammer yeah. walks back then the Koopa goes to the shell hits you with the shell or whatever um 
But the way that that game is designed is that um, every time you do an attack, you get you can do things to enhance that attack. Like if you're with your using a hammer attack, you can hold the stick backwards, and then like while Mario Mario will charge up the hammer. Yeah, um, and then yeah. when you let go, you deal extra damage. Right. Um, and then even when like um, like a Koopa tries to go in a shell and like run at you, mm-hmm. um, you can block it if you do it with perfect timing. Right, right. Um, and so, like that changes the dynamic of the turn-based gameplay, and it, it feels it, a, it feels like a bonus, right? It yeah. feels even yes. though it's a relatively simple mechanic, it feels mm-hmm. it feels like you got an extra mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And so, uh, to use it uh, like a, a, a asynchronous to synchronous uh, example, um, yeah. think about it like poker, right? Mm-hmm. If um, let's say I'm playing, we're playing hands of poker, and mm-hmm. I mean, there's no ties in a poker hand, but let's say you're playing yeah. a game where possibility of ties are relatively high yeah and you it's turn-based so that when you then when you reveal a tie then suddenly it's a game of of like slap or whatever where you have uh, you know what i mean that uh-huh. could then that feels like a bonus to resolve yeah. something like that so mm-hmm. you can use situations like that to use these as like pepper um yeah. onto a system so a game that's designed to be played incredibly slowly like a by mail style like a mobile game like a words with friends or something you yeah. could then uh introduce mechanics which reward the player who notices something first and acts right. on it immediately or something like that right and that can feel a little bit like you're you know <laughs> i got it you know getting away yeah. with something or and yeah. less about like the skill required for uh you know twitch gameplay or like a fighting game style real time system mm-hmm. and it's it's more about who cares who wins it's just it's giving someone an extra little bit of joy uh, for being on the ball or something, less than mm-hmm. rewarding the reflexes or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, maybe reflexes wasn't the right word for that, but I, I, I see what you're. Yeah, no, but it could like be. A, it could ball. be right. I'm just. Yeah, this is just an could example, be. right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I think that's. I think that. Yeah, dang, that's fascinating. Ah, oh, I love that. <laughs> I have to think about that because that that could be that could be really cool. All right. Well, what you're thinking, Ellen? <laughs> what's on your mind? I'm also with Steven. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't really clicking for me until we talked about a little bit about like taking a game that's asynchronous and then like sprinkling in or peppering on uh, some synchronous elements to kind of just like change the pacing for a moment. But that that variability in pacing is really important for engagement. And Mm -hmm. and that is one technique for doing it is if you have an asynchronous game, work in a moment of synchronicity and. If you have a symmetric game where everyone's got the same options all the time, like you're, you know, play up. I don't know why Halo comes to mind, but you know, like, yeah. well, class-based systems will do that. It give you a bonus in a scenario, or you could tie it to a narrative structure, like two characters yeah. with the same abilities, but in a certain situation, their backstories might give them certain abilities that only right. matter in certain scenarios, and maybe. Maybe as a if it's a co-op game, maybe you can gear yourself towards it, the scenario that matters. What you know, you can make that yeah. asy- um, asymmetric elements that are not common. You could work mm-hmm. together to leverage them when they need to happen. When they come up, yeah. so yeah. yeah. Just the main theme here is like these are not genres, right? Right. They're just elements and ways that you can structure things that that can be interesting. Actually, one just occurred to me about like an asymmetric aspect of Children of Morta, which mm. In the last episode, I mentioned was it this episode? It was this episode. Oh my god, it's this episode! It was just <laughs> several minutes ago mentioned. That's yeah. okay. We're all tired. Remember, <laughs> I'm like, I'm with my time, like sense of time, so much. But yeah, 
anyway, so Children of Morta, like it's a it's a co-op roguelike and you're all playing different characters, right? So right. um I have like roguelikes where you can kind of play as the same character with the same mechanics, even in co-op mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so uh but there are then these like obelisks around the dungeon and when you activate an obelisk it gives everyone in your party you and your partner like this time restricted buff so it's like a timer that runs it's a buff then runs out after a minute or whatever mm-hmm. it's the same buff for both of you so what was happening when we were playing um the other night is eric my husband was playing as a tank so he's in there and he's messing stuff up and hitting stuff I was yeah. playing a archer, so I'm holding way back and moving around and like trying to not be in the thick of things. We got this buff where it was like a damaging aura that was a pulse. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty it was pretty good. It was doing a lot yeah. of damage. So while I while that was on me, I was running in and just pulsing things to death instead of using oh, my right, right. So it changed my gameplay. Yeah. And that, that moment where, you know, what up until that point, our abilities and um, really the core mechanics of each character were completely different that for that minute they were similar right mm. suddenly there was symmetry yeah, yeah that's fantastic um, suddenly there was symmetry it was it was pretty fun and then like there are other i mean there are lots of different obelisk uh power-ups and, and things yeah. like that and they're all based on time so it, it really just it, it's a fun way to change the pacing and change the experience from minute to minute yeah yeah what i love about that example that's- is i think the ones that steve and i were thinking of is like the boring version, the symmetric or <laughs> synchronous peppered yeah. with the novel part, right? The A, mm-hmm. it, right? But you're describing yeah. the opposite. It's And it's just as interesting. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. Dang, that's really cool. We'll have to work this into our next nice games jam. We will have Ooh. to, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on your word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. So for a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. That's my favorite sentence in the entire in the entire outro. Yeah. <laughs> False. Actually, the best sentence is this one that's coming up. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and nunchuck wielding bears. <laughs> or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice. And make nice. Stephen, did I do a good transition? That's good. Thanks. <laughs> This is now the this yeah okay uh
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 